to the VD Clinic episode 5. My name is David. Along with me is uh, Vanessa. Hello. Oh my god, I almost called... I almost slipped into fucking Devour intro. Holy shit. I almost called you Jamie. Well, we do both cackle. I know, you do. Yeah. Or general yeah. laughter, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, apparently you, you you both sound quite a bit similar when you cackle. Or so I was told. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's the I don't know Southern thing. I hate to. I, I admit think so. It. I hate to admit that. Yes, <laughs> but we're not talking about that. We're not no, talking about no, that we're not. South. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, today we are going to be discussing Django from 1966 and The Gunslinger by Stephen King. Yes. It's so we're going fun. Southwest more. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or somewhere, yeah, somewhere Southwest, which is close to the mexican border but is also sure. apparently in the middle of winter right with lots of apparent rain so there's mud i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah anyway so uh yeah what do we have to how are you how you been uh Tell people how you been i've just been getting over whatever sinus illness but so like i told you this is the first day where i haven't felt like they're tiny knives stabbing me in my throat yeah yeah, so I'm not too bad. Yeah, good. You went on vacation recently. Yes, that's why I was finishing up the gunslinger um, yeah. while I was traveling. So, awesome. but I had to. Re- I had. We were originally going to record this a couple weeks ago, and you yeah. had to work, and so I was trying to cram the book in mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in two weeks, which we usually have a longer time in between recording, yeah. and so I. I think my my mind is a little fuzzy on some of the first half of the book. And when you told me, oh, we're going to delay it, I was like, good. So that's I finished the second half of the book mm-hmm. while I was on my vacation. Um, so that is much more, you know, fresh in my mind. But I right. had to, I, I had crammed Django in there <laughs> watching it the first <laughs> time. So I had to rewatch it last night <laughs> because I'd kind of forgotten some things. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I, every time I and I don't want to get into it too much now, but like every time I watch that movie, there's always something I forget. Like there's always plot points that I just completely forget about, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh right, that's the that's what where this movie is going now. But yeah, so and we'll get we'll get into that when we review the movie. Yourself, how have you been? I've been good. Been busy with work. I just got a chance to watch the movie this morning, and it took me the extra time. Really helped with the book because I was having a lot of trouble like getting my eyes to focus on reading at night on my way home from work, which is when I usually do a lot of my reading. But yeah, the last couple of weeks have been just so ridiculous at work. I've been so tired when I get off that I'm just, I'm fried. So, uh, but yeah, so this one, I'm looking forward to this one. Also, um, I don't know if we announced this on the last episode. We may have, but this officially kicks off our journey to the dark tower, um, which will be going into part two in January or February of next year depending on when it gets recorded and released. Now, you, I think we decided this after we recorded the last episode. I think you're right, yeah. Um, I think, I think again, it's on one Facebook. of those things I let you talk me into. <laughs> 
But at least, at least you've redeemed yourself as far as book quality. Yes. From uh, Michelle Remembers and uh, the Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is much, much better. I mean, yeah, it, is. it was it's a Stephen King. Of, so I know I already like Stephen King. So you know, you had a point going for you, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's also written Spoiler. some crap. So yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a crap shoot. So um, so yeah, and then um. Let's see. This is our September. So October, our October episode, very exciting. We're going to be doing um, something Wicked This Way Comes, both the book and the movie, um, which I have not seen. I don't think I've seen that movie all the way through in years. Like I've seen it in parts, but I don't think I've sat down and actually watched it I, in forever. I reread the book um, last year, I think, just randomly okay. because I hadn't read it since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then I rewatched the movie right after that. Okay. So I think I picked it's up It's still kind of fresh in my mind, but I'm going to watch it again. Okay, yeah. I think and I read it again. Yeah. Just cuz that's how I am. I think I read the, I think I started the book like 2 or 3 years ago and then put it down like I do and then never picked it back up again. Yeah. So, this time, this time I'm going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> cuz I have to. Um so yeah, uh, do we need have anything we need to plug before we get into uh, our first review? Not that I can think of. Okay. Yeah, neither neither can I. There's nothing I can think of uh, that needs to get done. So, uh, with that out of the way, we'll be right back to discuss Django. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses all things Grindhouse, Exploitation, Drive-In, and B-Movies. Your three hosts, Mike. We're, we're going to discuss the Renee Martinez-directed picture, the $6,000. What? Time, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the name of the Super movie. Super Soul that's, Brother. That's the name. When you that's start the movie. DVD cover. When you start the movie, the first thing that comes up says. is the title, and it says $6,000. $6, Mark and I've been around a girl stroking a horse's dick. Somehow, somewhere down the line, I'm gonna use that clip against you. Shh, <laughs> please do. And listener favorite Iris. The deployment sock. And I'm like, deployment sock. What the fuck is a deployment sock? He goes, you know, you know that sock that you just use. Oh my god, you guys are so gross. See, so it happens for real. People do come inside. We'll make you question your political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop Sunday and can be found by searching for BB and BC Podcast via iTunes, Lipson, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and everywhere else you can download quality podcasts from. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at bbnbcpodcast.com. A century ago on the low hills along the border between the southern states and turbulent Mexico, a mystery man appeared. A man with a sad, impenetrable face. Django! Django, have you never that man what was his secret it's not important and if i bothered you will you accept my apology he was pitiless in revenge quick to decide and a master of every weapon 
a man everybody would like to have seen dead. Yeah, his name is Django. Django, the title of a film you'll never forget. Django. How many men you got left? You tongue-tied? Or don't want to tell me? <laughs> Too bad, Maria. Django, an audacious man of action, capable of a tender, hopeless love which could only last a day, but a day which was worth all eternity. I'm glad I made you feel like a real woman. Very glad. I mean A new, ruthless, violent film. Featuring a great new star, Franco Nero. And a great supporting cast. Django this was released in 1966, and the synopsis is a coffin-dragging gunslinger and a half-breed prostitute become embroiled in a bitter feud between a clan of southern racists and a band of Mexican revolutionaries. This was directed by Sergio Carbucci, and this was written by Sergio Carbucci, Bruno Carbucci, uh, Franco Rossetti, Piero uh, Vivarelli, and Jeffrey Coppleston did the English, uh, English version. Uh, this stars Franco Nero as Django, Jose Badalo as, uh, G uh, General Hugo Rodriguez, uh, Donna Nusaic as Maria, uh, Angel Alvarez as Nathaniel, uh, Gino Pernice as Brother Jonathan, uh, Simona Riga as Miguel, Giovanni Ivan Gradalugia, one of the clan's members. <laughs> uh Rima DeAngelis. I'm I'm just gonna let you struggle. Oh yeah. This, oh yeah. You know? This is what happens whenever I, I do foreign names. No, I've taken Italian, so I'm but I'm gonna let you struggle through. Yeah. Alright, Rima DeAngelis is uh Ricardo. Uh Rafael Albiasiani Albiasini is one of the gang members. And then Eduardo Fayardo is Major Jackson. So you had never seen this before. I had not, although I thought I might have seen part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure about that because I mentioned to you that I have quite a history with watching Westerns, mm -hmm. but it's a very specific kind of Western. And it's, I mean, I've seen some spaghetti Westerns. I mean, I do own the Man With No Name trilogy, right? you know, but it, that's more what I know just kind of inside and out, or at least have seen that much of. I know a lot more of the Roy Rogers right. <laughs> style westerns because my mother grew up in um, in His Hesperia and Victorville, 
and the Mojave Desert in California. Mm-hmm. And she actually went to school with, like, high school with Roy Rogers Jr. Oh, wow. And the Sons of the Pioneers played at her high school prom. <laughs> <laughs> I've met, I've met, uh, Dale Evans and Roy Rogers multiple times while they were alive. And I've seen their graves. I mean, like, yeah. So that's <laughs> Gene Autry, you know, that's right. the kind of singing cowboy stuff that I know. And I know that a lot better than other Westerns. I mean, even High Noon, I know I've seen it, but, you know, I. Westerns aren't necessarily I go to or something I go to, but I do enjoy them sometimes. It's just, you know, they're whatever. I guess, again, maybe it's because of these specific singing cowboy (laughs) stuff that I saw is why I don't go to Westerns. But, you know, I do. I I actually was a fan of the uh, TV show Rawhide with Clint (laughs) Eastwood. It's pretty good. All right. Fair enough. Definitely prefer that to Bonanza, but I, but. This was this was definitely a different kind of thing entirely. Yes, this is very. This is a really different kind of spaghetti western movie because I've seen I've seen yeah parts of I think I've seen Good Bad and the Ugly I've seen parts of all three of those movies mm-hmm. and I've seen parts of Once Upon a Time in the West which I swear to God I've started that movie so many times and I always cash out about a half an hour in right because I'm just like it's really good but fuck this movie's long yeah they're epics right and this isn't like this feels more just like down and dirty like a almost a fantasy western um not nearly as fantasy as the gunslinger is but definitely yeah kind of you could see that if king i guess we i I texted you like Django and roland are very similar characters yes although um clint eastwood's character gets referenced in um the foreword or the author's yeah. note or something uh, but right. I, I feel like if if king had seen this this probably would have been you know we would have probably seen a bit more of this in in roland that we already do <clears throat> right um but yeah this is a very very quick quickly paced movie like it start within the first like five minutes we've got like a major action scene happening with you know the the mexican guys are shot by um major jackson's people and then major jackson's people are shot down by Django, and then the movie kind of slows down for a bit as we go into the into the town and then like it's got a very good pace of of introducing introducing some action giving us some story and then going in for another big action scene and the, the action scenes get progressively bigger as the movie goes on which is really nice yeah and it is nicely spread out it's not like they're all toward the end of the movie right we get because the the first time we the first really big one we get is when uh major jackson's men uh ride into town um so major jackson is the is our villain of the movie he's a racist southerner um, <laughs> this is this is we don't really know where this is set it's just in the south air quotes okay so mm. i started trying to think about this okay realistically which i know i should not look for accuracy in a spaghetti western i know this but i mean they reference tombstone okay i've been to tombstone arizona (laughs) this is not what it looks like but i think if there may be there's part of like southern southwest texas maybe it could be yeah i think so maybe 
because and that's right there like Mexican border that would make more sense um, because they're obviously relatively close to the border if um, Hugo I mean the is talking about going forward you know in the, the revolution and right. they it seems relatively close yeah and they go on that raid later on in the movie to the right. to the fort so that's and then and they, they say if we get across the border we can we'll be safe yeah so they're somewhere close to the border they don't really say where and apparently it's winter because everyone is wearing like heavy coats and there are several scenes where you can see them with see their breath coming out of their mouth so it's like okay it's winter wherever the fuck this place is which actually in the desert it can get very cold oh yeah i just you don't know. know where it would rain as much as it would exactly considering that the town has that the ground in the town is nothing but mud basically and also there's a fucking quicksand out in the that, middle of nowhere i know i could understand there being quicksand and a desert okay right. but the mud factor it throws me off because i'm like the, you know the amount of you know precipitation you would need to make that happen it, no that doesn't go with the other two <laughs> And then I'm like, well, maybe, and then you could have the rain and the mud and the quicksand, but then you couldn't have the desert with it. Right. <laughs> like, you couldn't have all three. So, not the accuracy of, <laughs> it's a little questionable where it occurs. Yes. But it was not, obviously not filmed in the American Southwest. No. <laughs> that's, that's just, that's, that's just all. Yeah. Um, but that was, and that was something that bugged me, and I guess... Again, because I've visited the desert mm -hmm. so many times because of seeing my mom's family and that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but I don't look for accuracy in something like this. Right. I know that. I know not to expect it. Right. So, yeah. So Django, like, yeah, basically he just he shows up. He shows up and saves Maria, who's supposed to be half Mexican, although she's white as hell and a redhead. So I don't know how that worked. Um, and then they go back to the, the town and we're introduced to Nathaniel, the bartender, and the, the other prostitutes there. And then Major Jackson's men show up and Django shoots a bunch of them in the bar, which is pretty great. Like he's, yeah. he's just an effort. He's an effortless badass throughout this movie. Mm -hmm. He's just like, eh, whatever. Just like shoots a whole bunch of dudes. Let's Major Jackson leave. And he tells him, yeah, bring all your people. And then just sits out there smoking a cigarette and Nathaniel's like, you, would you just leave? Just escape? He's like, no. No. Go away, Nathaniel. You worry too much. He's like, no, it's fine. I got I got it covered. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And he's also carrying, and, and I forgot to mention, he's dragging a coffin with him the entire movie. And his fucking coffin pops up throughout the movie. <laughs> but, so he he's dragged this coffin in and then he's dragged it outside with him and then we find out what's in the coffin which is a giant ass machine gun. Which, okay, going back to the accuracy. Right, factors. I don't know. I never saw a trigger on it. I don't know how it fires. It just does. And I don't know a lot about guns. I will admit that. But it had me curious as to when that piece of artillery was invented. Right. Because this is supposed <laughs> to be after the Civil War. We know that. War. Exactly. And it seems like it would be soon enough after the Civil War that everybody's still wearing their uniforms. Right. Uh, because Django is wearing Union pants, and that's uh, called out by one of Major Jackson's men very early on. Well, and Major Jackson's got the Confederate gray. Oh, that's right. 
I thought he was in kind of a tan, but maybe he was gray. Well, in another scene, it's a little different, but oh, right, you, see right, right, him, right. you don't see him necessarily in the actual, um, you know, uniform, right. but you see him in a lot of the gray. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Reference. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in Alabama. I know, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen too much of it. Uh. Oh God! So, <clears throat> so yeah, so they they roll into town, and then Django produces this ridiculous fucking machine gun and just kills all the motherfuckers. And, then... and all of and and all of the guys, his uh, the major or whatever, his uh, henchmen mm-hmm. are wearing the red hoods, right? Because they're racists and hate Mexicans for some reason. Yeah. Whenever it's well, never they're, really they're clear. Confederate. Oh right. They're, well, yeah. And they're racist. Yes. Yes, and they hate the Mexicans. Now, what's funny? What I did read on IMDb, and you know, so I take it with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. but it makes a lot of sense. Is that when they needed to shoot that scene? Why that ended up happening mm-hmm. is. Because they didn't have a lot of attractive looking extras at the <laughs> casting agencies that were available to them. So they had some pretty ugly, ugly actors and they put <laughs> them up with hoods. Because you can see, not all of them necessarily have the hoods on. Right, right. I'm like, I could, I could actually see that being true. Yeah, but, I could see that. But what it made me think of... <laughs> Because this is how weird I am. Um, is the have you ever seen those kind of conical? I know. Okay, the conical like type hoods, like the clan wears. Mm-hmm. Okay, white. But have you seen the ones that are red like yeah. that? The uh, they're called like caparotti or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're at different Roman Catholic ceremonies in Spain and Italy. Right. And that is, I, that's kind of immediately where I went mm-hmm. with that. I mean, after like, oh, okay, it's a, it's a nod to the clan. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, well, it would totally make sense that they would be red for some reason. Right. I don't know. And I don't it's know. It's an Italian enough. movie. Well, exactly. And it has, I mean, I think some of their cast was Spanish, though, too. Oh, yeah. Um. Which was at least better than you know browning so many of them up. There were a few. There were a few of the actors in brown face, but yeah. not as many as a lot of Hollywood films. Yeah, the Mexicans were mostly brown enough, except for the couple guys who were in brown face, which were really obvious. But we don't spend a whole lot of time looking at them. Right. And then the guy who fights Django in the bar, who looks like he walked off the set of Star Trek episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So yeah. So then, so Django saves the saves the the bar, and then <clears throat> then Hugo's men show up. I think. Yeah, Hugo's men show up. Yes. And then the Mexican gang. Yes. And they show up, and Django and Hugo know each other. No, they show up at the bar, and and Django's gone somewhere else. Oh, they were cleaning up the bodies. That's what it was. They go off to clean up the bodies. Hugo shows up, then Django is found in the graveyard and brought to the to the bar. And all the Mexicans get drunk, and then they plan their heist, which is where this movie is again. Like I said earlier, like this movie. Every time I watch it, I forget like plot points throughout. Mm-hmm. Like I, because I, I know I remember up to the big gunfight 
Yeah. And then I'm like, okay. Then some stuff happens. And then there's another big gunfight, but I don't remember why. And that's the heist. And then right. it's like, okay, they get back and then some stuff happens. And then Django has his hands broken. <laughs> and so like, there's this whole chunk there when they get back to the, to the bar where it's just like ridiculous nonsense scheming where he climbs out of a window with the fucking coffin. Okay. I was watching that, rewatching that last night and I just was thinking of how impressive that was. Right. And how quiet it was and how creative yeah. a way of doing that. It was it was awkward, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of awkward. But it was a very interesting way to explain that piece of the plot. Right. Because they they, uh, they raid the 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 fort where Major Jackson is hanging out there with them for some reason, which is weird. Well, but he he it's he has money stored there. Oh, right. That, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, they yeah. Go, they steal a bunch of gold. It, yeah, it's it's Major Jackson's gold. Oh, okay, yeah. So they steal Major Jackson's gold for the the revolution, and so Django can get paid, and it's all gold like flakes, base or dust basically. Um, so they lock it in a room. So then Django proceeds to. He, he takes one of the prostitutes with him and uses her as a distraction as she's getting undressed. And so the, the three guys who are outside, who happen to be outside the window, notice her undressing. So he goes and he takes the coffin out through an upstairs window and then lowers it down a ladder, uses it to cross over to another roof, and yeah. then proceeds to lower it into a big-ass goddamn chimney. And, and then lower himself down into the right. chimney. And pull it out, take out the gun, put in the gold flakes. Right. But also he and... has rope and dynamite, which he stands like, he crouches down like two feet away from the dynamite as if that's going to save him from the blast. And it totally does. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> which then triggers the gun to go off. And then it just starts shooting the door and all the guys in the bar come running out and die in a column. Because it the horses. Right. Meanwhile, he's going out the back with his coffin full of gold. Yes. And a line of drunken Mexicans get shot because they all go running exactly towards the door, which is spitting bullets. Um, I think one horse gets shot. Like a bunch of them run past and like, I think one of yeah. them falls. Um, yeah. And then Maria, who Django has been kind of cold to through most of the movie. Um, and I'm, I don't, I don't think he's doing it. I don't think he's doing it like to be an asshole. I think he's doing it to, to kind of throw everybody else off, and also to kind of probably to, to distance her from. Him After it. they have whatever connection, right? And it's insinuated that they sleep together. Oh yeah, totally. That that, that fade to black totally. Uh, yeah. Implied they boned. Yeah, exactly. But he, I, he totally acts like that to throw everybody off. Right. Because then she shows up and she wants to escape with him, so they escape off with the. Uh, with the cart and they make it to the bridge again. And he basically tells her, you know, fucking get lost. You know, I have to do this on my, I have to go kill major Jackson. And if you stay with me, you're going to get hurt. Um, and then the horse gets scared and the, or no, the gun, like the gun slips and goes off and scares the horse. And then the coffin falls into the quicksand and Django tries to save it. And she ends up saving him, but she gets shot because, um, it was uh, the Mexicans. The Mexicans. They show up. 
And then they break Django's hands, which was pretty gnarly. They pull, and they pull him out of the quicksand. Right. Safely. Yeah, they, they rescue him from the quicksand and then break his hands with a with a rifle butt and then walk over them with the horses, which is pretty... Because he's... You know what? If he had just taken his half of the gold <laughs> and had not been greedy, it wouldn't have happened like that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. He should have just taken his half and left them theirs. He should have just done that. But no, he decided to take all the gold. And therefore, he's a thief in their eyes. Oh, yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm and, not saying Hugo thief. even says that when they meet up again, he calls him a thief. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, you know what you're getting into. Hugo should have known better. Well, you know, Django well, probably should have. Django should have known better. <laughs> Otherwise, would you know he would his hands would be fine, right? But that doesn't. But that sets up our big climactic finale. Where, oh yes, you know he drags himself back to Earl. He stumbles back into the bar with Maria and asks uh, Nathaniel to help her, and then he tells him to if Major Jackson comes back to tell him he's at the the cemetery, and then we we and then we cut over to the Mexicans and they've decided to go back to to Mexico and they're going to have their revolution one way or the other. Um. As they should. As they should. And they get murdered. <laughs> um, and then Major Jackson and his couple of guys roll into the roll into the bar and shoot Nathaniel. And then Jen, we see Jango. You don't realize Maria's there. Right, because she's on the couch. And it looks like um, Nathaniel's been he's closing the shop or he's closing everything up and getting ready to leave. Um, so... Django was struggling to get his gun. First, he's trying to get the the trigger guard off with his teeth, which is incredibly difficult to watch. So I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, that hurts my mouth so much. Um, <laughs> and then he manages to kind of wedge the gun into the into the into into his wife's grave. And Major Jackson shows up and talks some shit. And then he kills all of the motherfuckers at the end. And then he stumbles away. And theoretically, they go back to Maria. And that's yes. the end of the movie. And it's fucking great. <laughs> oh, I love this movie. It does have some great um, POV shots during that bar fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was noticing it when I was watching it last, rewatching it last night. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a good bar fight scene. Right? <laughs> lots of, a lot of really good shaky camera in there and just moving around and, you know. Dude comes at him with like a bottle and takes his belt off and tries to beat him with that too. I think it's up getting yeah. a pickaxe to the back or something. I'm like, where the fuck did the yeah. pickaxe come from? No, it was sit- it was sitting there leaning against the wall and he falls back on it. Okay, I don't remember seeing the pickaxe in the wall. I didn't. I didn't realize it the first time I saw it. Okay. I I saw it last night though. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I had I had to figure out the same thing. Yeah. There's there's a like I said there's a considerable chunk of time between the when i see this movie at any given point so there's stuff like that slips my mind and i'm always like oh yeah he gets a pickaxe in the back yeah that sucks um so yeah this is a really a really fun movie um and we both watched uh no i watched the italian cut and i think you did too yes of yeah, course with the italian audio yeah the english audio is not bad i've seen it with the english audio before um it's not bad but Meh. It's not Franco Nero. Yeah. And he's his line delivery is so good in this movie. Um so yeah, 
I really like this movie. This is a super fun. This is actually the, the first Western I remember seeing that like really like made me enjoy Westerns where I was like, mm-hmm. holy shit, this is like a really good movie. Um, because it's not, it's not super realistic and grounded. Like, um, I mean, the man with no name trilogy is not really realistic in a lot of ways, but it kind of is, you know, it's right. got that kind of very, like you said, it's that very epic quality. Whereas this one kind of doesn't, this just sort of feels like this story of this, you know, kind of, a, it's almost like a fable in a way. You've got this like gunslinger who just can do all this crazy shit, you know, and in the end, even with his hands mangled, he can still murder five fucking people. Yeah, well, and I think, I mean, it has a, it, it has a certain exploitation yeah, definitely. vibe about it. And I, I know I definitely, that's part of why I enjoyed it. Mm. <laughs> um, and having a 90 minute running time or whatever, I mean, it is much, makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, definitely. Compared to what the good, the bad, the ugly, which is I think two and a half hours almost. Something like, yeah, yeah. Something like that, which is an amazing movie, but I can't sit through it that much. Right. I, I mean, really, it's it's just a lot of movie to, you know, wade through. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I just, uh, it was it was definitely fun. And I know I was going to point, I told you I was going to have to point out that how much Tarantino pulled from this. I know, right? I, I mean, not just in, not just his inspiration for Django Unchained. I mean, but yeah, like I, I realized it as I was watching it this time that like yeah, he stole a lot from this movie for other movies. But stuff from for the Hateful Eight, stuff for Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, like, like when Brother Jonathan gets his ear taken off, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I immediately thought of Reservoir Dogs, and I was like, exactly. Oh. Yeah, it, I mean, there are just there, and there were some different camera setups that mm. I, you could you can see throughout Tarantino's work mm-hmm. you know that it's it's uh I don't know if you want to say stolen or homage <laughs> <laughs> that's debatable but uh you can definitely see the influence of, or how this is influenced and uh someone else and what there have been what how many sequels to this I mean it's really uh four or five i think they're all unofficial i well I, what i think is that from what i've kind of seen it seems that there were like a handful that were official sequels and then there were tons like you know t- over i mean it like almost a hundred or something unofficial sequels because they started slapping the word django on anything but, that yeah. franco nero did that was a western because you that's know. what you do when you're Italian. Right. Well, I saw somewhere that said that even stuff that he did in Germany that was a Western, they just slapped Django on it. I'm like, okay, well. Okay, so, so here we go. The According to Wikipedia, the official uh, Django films are, or the Franco Nero ones are Django and then Django Strikes Again, which is an official sequel. Um, starring Franco Nero. And then in 2016, there was talks of a Django Lives, which is not... I haven't heard anything about that since. Okay. Uh, and then there's unofficial sequels. 
which is a few, goddamn, a few, uh, a few dollars for Django. Django shoots first. Django bullet for you. Uh, two sons of Ringo. God forgives. I don't. Last killer. Django kill if you live. Shoot. Don't wait. Django shoot. Son of Django. Uh, ten thousand dollars for a massacre. Any gun can play. Two faces of the dollar. Man pride revenge. If you want to live, shoot. Django kill slowly. Django prepare a coffin, which apparently is supposed to be really good. Um, Django does not forgive. <laughs> Hang for hanging for Django. Gallows rope for Django. False Django. <laughs> Django the Bastard. Uh, one damn day at dawn, Django meets Sartana. Django against Sartana. And Django meets, Sar- meets Sartana. So that was 19... That's 1969 to 1970. Uh, Django and Sartana are coming. It's the end. Jeez, who the fuck is Sartana? Now, I want to I know who Sartana is. Oh my uh, goodness. Sartana's here. Trade your pistol for a coffin. Uh, <laughs> Django defies Sartana. Django is always number two. Wow. 1971, not a good year for Django. Uh, <laughs> w. Django, uh, Django's Cut Price cor- cut price Corpses. That's a, that's a title. Uh, a Ballad for Django, a, pis- uh, a Pistol for Django, A Man Called Django, uh, Gunman of 100 Crosses, Shoot Django, Shoot First, Kill Django, Kill First, uh, Death is Sweet from the Soldier of God, Down With Your Hands, You Scum, Django, Adios, Long Live Django, and then Sukiyaki Western Django is a Japanese film from 2007. So basically, it's just lots of Django. Yeah. He's just a yeah. character who popped up a lot in movies, apparently. Pretty much. Well, I did text you that I was looking through some of my Roku channels, mm-hmm. and they I saw seven different Django movies on there. Yeah. Not counting the original right. Django. Yeah, I definitely yeah. want to check out the uh, the official sequel. And then I'd like to, I seem to remember, I want to say Mo from uh, No Budget Nightmares did an episode about like a bunch of the bootleg or the, I think it was called like bootleg Django's was the mm-hmm. name of the episode he did for, I think it was Drunk on VHS. And he talked like yeah. about three of them. Um, and I think it was Django Prepare Coffin that was like basically a horror movie. And yeah. I was like, that one sounds awesome. I got to check that out. Um, I just never have. I think I have a copy of it somewhere. Um, but yeah, there's, I, I, it's, it's so very Italian cinema or Italian yes. genre cinema just to be like, Oh yeah, just slap the name on it. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why there's like fucking four movies with the, with the name house and none of them have anything to do with the first two. Yeah. Or the zombie series or any other ridiculous grindhouse crap. That the Italians pumped out. Right. God bless the Italians. And then- <laughs> ridiculous fucking genre movies well Deodato did work at, as the assistant director on this oh that's right he did the director of cannibal holocaust so. yeah and um dario argento was a has a screenwriting credit i believe or a story credit on like once upon a time in the west so that's kind of it's kind of the neat thing to see the the random random horror yeah. names that pop up in these other italian genre films um Hey, work is work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, that's. Uh, do you have anything else you want to talk well, about? Well, okay, I, okay. Oh, please. <laughs> of course, I have something to say. <laughs> the well, we you we I guess when you suggested this movie to begin with, I said I want to watch something 
that I haven't seen before. Right. Suggest something. You suggested this, and you did say, well, it has some problematic portrayals of women. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> I forgot how... Like, I, I, I remembered... Again, it was one of those things, like, I remember, like, yeah, like, I don't remember the prostitutes being very good because like it's a movie from 1966 and it's a western so there's some of that and it's a little bit cringy but not too bad and then i totally forgot about the fucking cat fight in the mud for no apparent reason right <laughs> i was like is that necessary and it's not even like a sexy kind of no and that's kind fight. of why i think that- it works in a weird way that's what got me is that I would expect it to go in that direction kind of, and no, it doesn't, it it, it didn't. And, but it's just, it's just, yeah, it's just mud and feathers because of what they're wearing. Yeah. Because like the, but it's for absolutely no reason. Not really. Other than to get another quick action scene in, you know, it's like brother Jonathan. It's, it's setting up the next, it's one of those things where it's like we need something to go on here for the next couple of minutes until Major Jackson yeah. or until the Mexicans show up. So yeah. here's Brother Jonathan spouting some bullshit and getting these women riled up and then they get into a fight and they beat the shit out of each other in the mud for a while because that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the whole thing with Maria, like from the beginning, you know, yeah. the the fact of her like I mean, she's blatantly saying, you know, I, uh, I need a man to protect me. <laughs> I need a man to love me. Like right. that's, But it's just, she had the despair she has. And I mean, it, and it makes me, and I think maybe this is why I don't watch tons of Westerns. Mm. That yes, there is a problematic role of women there. <laughs> I mean, granted, I watch plenty of other things that do, but it's just... Most of the time, although this one is better mm-hmm. about, you know, that you actually know that these are prostitutes. There's actually what they're doing for their living. Right. It's not just, oh, we're sitting here on your lap, keeping you company while you drink and play cards. It's no, we're going upstairs and doing something, you know. So they're, they don't hide that. But because this is more of a R-rated or whatever, un, unrated adult rated, whatever country it was distributed in. It wasn't slapped with just a general audience type rating or right. warning. Um, so it's geared more towards an adult audience and has that compared to a lot of other Westerns that you saw that were coming out at that time, like in the sixties. And, you know, oh, yeah. I, so I think that's one thing that's different is, um, and then I, I don't know, I start thinking about like, what would you do living in that situation? What would your choices be like (laughs) as a woman? And I don't know. Again, I'm not looking for any accuracy, but in these, but it just, sometimes it wears on me. Oh yeah. I totally get that. Um, No, I I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it it didn't take away from me enjoying the movie, Mm -hmm. but it's just something that got stuck in my head. No, yeah, I get that. Yeah, just because of how quickly Maria all of a sudden is, she's not just smitten with Django. She automatically loves him. Right. And, you know, it's, 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 yeah. yeah I don't know. It, he, yeah. He's, 
from being beaten in a way, you know, and, but he, she's only got his, he's taking her back to the Mexicans who she was running from to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, and she's chattel basically. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I like, I knew like going into this, I was like, all right, yeah, it's, you have to remember it's a movie from the sixties. So it's, like it's not exactly. gonna be the greatest portrayal, but it's uh, but again it's like but like you said, like surprisingly, like all of the stuff that you kind of like, everything in this movie that's kind of like you know is a little bit like ah that's not so great. It's still like yeah, you know, but it's pretty good for the time actually. Surprisingly, yeah, exactly. Like even I Django mean- has a, a point where he's talking about like. Like I think it's the first confrontation he has with Major Jackson where he's just like yeah no fuck you you're a racist you deserve to die basically. Exactly. So you're like, wow, this is oddly progressive. And so even... No, he totally calls him out on the racism. Yeah. So it's like, even though Django's kind of a dickhead through a lot of this movie. Right. Especially to Maria. Yeah. And yeah, he's kind of a dickhead to Nathaniel too. But mostly to Maria. Yeah. She's our kind of our the other main character of the story. Um, it's like, even though he's an asshole, he still has like, he has like at least some morals and he, 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 he keeps that close to the vest, but he's clearly doesn't right. he doesn't suffer fucking racists and we know he fought for the north so right he's at least a decent human being despite the you know the hard veneer that he puts up because obviously you know he's you know he lost his wife to major jackson's men um at some point um in the past well, he was off fighting or right. whatever that's what you mean white implied. yeah um, I don't know why she would have been so far south. I don't know why he was fighting for the North if they lived in the... I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> As someone who was born in California, mm-hmm. who moved to Alabama when <laughs> I was four, um, I was actually, through part of my life, bullied because mm. I was from outside, because I was a Yankee, as they said, and I'm kinda, I kind of always had the point of, California wasn't even a state yet. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) There was no North, South, whatever. Well, technically, California and Arizona, like in those Western states, whatever, Mm. fought more for the North, for the Union. Interesting. Um, But they weren't officially part of the country. Oh, okay. Part of the union, but they tended to not, but not a hundred percent of them went that way. So anyway, I was teased about this, like in school, like just, it was stupid. (laughs) It was stupid. And I would even say, you know, that was 150 years ago. You lost the war. Get over it. (laughs) And, And it just, people don't get it. I don't, Oh, it's stupid that it's a thing. Yeah. Like now. Oh, it's yeah. It's stupid that it's still a thing. But I understand in this movie right. why he would more likely be, you know, in the, in the Union uniform. Mm-hmm. And, may, and Jackson probably or possibly would have come out that way because they were being chased out of the South. Right. Um, the um, southeast, mm-hmm. that is, uh, as whatever battles were defeated and such. Right. I mean, that's what I. This that's the only thing I could imagine in 
the setup. Yeah. Here. To get just to, to yeah, that makes sense because you know it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of story that's not told, but it's a lot of just because right. it's just through quick dialogue, you know, like establishing that you know, you know, Major Jackson murdered his wife, and which we won't we don't even find that out till much later. We just know he's right. after them. Uh, right. Or he has a he had some shit because well we we know you know it's established. Um, you know, when Jackson first shows up that Django's like, yeah, fuck you, you're a racist. Um, and it's not till after his men get mowed down and they're burying them in the cemetery that we find out that, ja- that, uh, Django had a wife and she was killed by Jackson's men. So it's like, he, he murders a bunch, a whole bunch of dudes and we know that they're, we know they're bad guys cause they've been, they've been shooting Mexicans out in the field cause that's what they do for fun. And that they don't like how Mexicans look. Right. Because they make some comments about the color of their skin, right? Um, so then we kind of so even so even just you know on the on the basis of Django being like fuck you you're a racist we can get behind it but then it's like oh okay there's an actual reason he specifically hasn't killed his asshole. It's like he wants his revenge, but he's gonna you know wait it out, right? And then you know Hugo shows up and it's like oh apparently they know each other and it's you know yeah probably some sometime during the war or something. So. <clears throat> So, yeah. No, I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, like I said, I just had to point that out. Oh, yeah. The whole... I guess it wouldn't have bothered me so much, except the fact that she's just from the get-go, completely like, I love you. Yeah. She, and she gets started even as soon as he shows up. Such a, even when he was being such a dick to her, she was like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dice. Oh, Django! Yeah, you rascal! <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's it it's really corny. But it's also like, yeah, it makes sense for this kind of story from that period of time. It's um, a, no, it does. Yeah. It does. It's and I mean, absolutely from a modern perspective, it's kind of like that's dumb. Right, I know. But then it's like, yeah, it's a men's adventure thing. Yeah, it's fine, whatever. Um, yeah, but but the but the uh, anti-racism thing though yeah. is actually pretty is is much more progressive than you'd expect. Yeah, and like even like the, and I made the joke like the Mexicans are kind of stereotypical because they all roll in wearing like sombreros and they're shooting their pistols off in the air and they're all wearing and they want tequila. They want to. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where the major or the yeah or Hugo's like tequila for everyone. They got the bandoliers yeah. on, and st- so and again, it's like, yeah, it's stereotype, but it's not as bad as it would have been in an American Western at this point. Exactly. Which would have been a whole lot of white guys in brown face and really, really bad and the, accents. And the costumes would have been more extreme. Yeah, yeah, would have been more pronounced. Yeah. <sighs> so good on you, Django, for being surprisingly progressive. Even when you're being backwards. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss about this one? Or um, well, would you um, would you recommend this movie to people who have not seen it? Um, I would. I mean, there's certain people I know that would are just not interested in westerns, and obviously, I wouldn't wouldn't recommend it to them. Right. But yeah, I would recommend it to. Uh, overall okay yeah i would too um like i said this is probably one of my favorite um westerns like the first one that really 
like made me go, hey, Westerns are fucking awesome. Um, well, for some people, I might recommend this before I'd recommend The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, just because you got the 90-minute running time. Yeah, and I think that's really what I kind of needed, uh, because every time yeah. I tried to sit down and watch a Western, it was like some giant epic that was four fucking hours long. And, and it know, may be amazing, but... Yeah, but it's still... It's- long really long and you know sometimes i just want 90 minutes of a dude killing a whole bunch of motherfuckers right right which is exactly what this movie is which is why i've uh you get a shit ton of people killed oh yeah yeah i've uh i I, this is the subtitle for this movie that i've always given it is Django kills a whole lot of motherfuckers or kills all the motherfuckers because he does and it's great all right so uh that's it for Django. we will be right back to discuss the gunslinger in a world gone mad as you know the doomsday clock is a symbolic clock face analogizing humankind's proximity to extinction one man must fight to survive on the global junkie of the future you maniacs you blew it up Damn you! God damn you all to hell! Which versus the Doomsday Clock is that man's story? His search for entertainment is transmitted across time and space for your listening pleasure on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and your Android device. This podcast is not fit for human consumption. Side effects include laughter, concern, nausea, vomiting, and burden for more artists. The producers accept no responsibility for any side effects, illness, or internet brain keep mind cause. My back guarantees worth nothing. Zero, zip, zip, sh- uh, I roll, no sausage. In short, you get nothing. Nothing. Good day, sir. The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. That's the opening lines of The Gunslinger by Stephen King, which was released as a novel in 1982. And prior to that, it had been released as a series of short stories between, what was it, Vanessa? 1978 and 81. Yeah. And then he revised the novel in 2003. Yes, which is, I believe, the version I have. Yes, same with me. That's the um, the Kindle version that's out now. I believe I have an older... I have an older copy of it somewhere. It might be my parents' house. Um, it's, an, it's, it's a... I think it's a library format one. It's a bigger, bigger version. I think it has some illustrations in it. Um, that's an they were one. actually all originally released with illustrations. Yeah. Um, so I have that one my, somewhere. But my copy doesn't have them. Yeah, which is kind of unfortunate. But uh, I still have a pretty... And unfortunately, also, my copy currently has the Dark Tower cover for the movie. Um, Mine too. Which my, my copy of it is also converted over to the movie cover, uh, which is not terrible, actually. It's... Um, I think the last time I looked at it, it was the... The Georgie poster with him holding the balloon on the black background, which doesn't look terrible. Um, I do like the the previous cover that was on there, but that's the thing that Kindle does whenever a movie comes out, um, which is slightly aggravating at times. But anyway, so our synopsis is the the story centers upon Roland DeShane, the last gunslinger who has been chasing after his adversary, the man in black, for many years. The novel fuses, uh, and it's all from Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, the novel fuses Western fiction with fantasy, science fiction, and horror following Roland's trek through a vast desert and uh, and beyond in search of the man in black. Roland meets several people along his journey, including the boy na- name, a- yeah, including a boy named Jake Chambers who travels with him part, part of the way. So yeah, this was, uh, this is, I believe the third time, 
that I've started to read this book. It's the first time I've actually finished it, though. Um, because I think I started reading it once when I was probably 14. And I think I only got a couple pages in because I'm just like, eh, I don't care. Um, and I picked it up about a year ago and got as far as the first fight with the slow mutants. And then I think I stopped for some reason and then just put it aside and pick it up again. And then once, um, as I suggested it for the show, I was like, all right, cool. I'm actually going to finish this fucking book. And I started back at the beginning and then worked my way through it. So, and, and had you, this is another first read for you as well, right? Well, uh, like you, I picked it up. I was probably about, I was like 13 or 14. Okay. And I borrowed my dad's copy and I read it a small bit and Mm. then just stopped for whatever reason and never picked it back up. Right. So this really was essentially my first read. Yeah. Um, First time I read a substantial amount of it. (laughs) That's what counts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, this is, uh, it's, I like this. I enjoyed this book quite a bit. Um, the writing is very, it feels like very early King. Like, uh, it has a same kind of tone that Carrie does that I really love. That kind of raw still not quite settled into his Stephen King ways yet. Um, and things don't get too ridiculous. Um, and it's actually, and because it was released as short stories initially, it's told in a series of kind of flashback vignettes of Roland, you know, remembering something or telling a story about what had happened to him prior. Um, because he spent, because the, the book opens, he's just wandering the desert, and he comes across he comes across the um, the hermit, the scrawny hermit, and the hermit with the bird. Him and his he loves he him and crows. He loves crows in his books. So, yeah. This fucking weird crow. Um which made me think of the stand, of course. Because yes. Randall Flagg pops up all the time in, uh, with crows. Um and I believe technically the the stand is linked to this series because of Randall Flagg. Okay. Um Because that's a thing. This book this whole series is connected to a bunch of his different books and there's a if you the wanna, multiverse. <laughs> yes, the multiverse. If you want to be a nerd, you can look online. There's an actual like somebody made a, like a flow chart of every character from every book and how they connect to every other book. It's fucking ridiculous. In Stephen King world. Yes. Or this is Midworld, I believe, is the where this is set. Yes, Midworld. Yes. Okay. Um, which is not really explained too much in the book, really. I, it's established. Well, it's start from the beginning so roland is going across the desert and he meets the the hermit who he tells him the story about this the town of tull which is was some time or some time in the past we don't really know exactly when it probably a couple of months maybe a couple of weeks um you know roland's kind of his description of time is very fluid uh because he's out in the middle of the fucking desert um so he goes he rolls into this town called tull and meets fuck what is her name oh the girl at the at the bar Allie. Allie, thank you yeah so he meets Allie, and he's been chasing the man in black and he knows that he's pat he has a feeling he's passed through this town um which he has as it turns out 
um, and he sleeps with Allie and he gets the information from her that he wants, which is that the man in black had come to town and um, there was an old man in town who had died, who was who had been addicted to the devil grass is what it's called, um, which is apparently this kind of some kind of weird grass plant that burnt that grows out in the desert and was mostly is used for like small fires and such or that's how uh, roland uses it um but it also causes hallucinations i believe is what he said yeah something like that so it's some kind of hallucinogenic plant um and this old man was addicted to it and ate it all the time and then dropped dead um and then the man in black strolls into town and resurrects him and uh plant the idea into uh Allie's head that uh if she ever wants to know the secrets of what lies beyond death to ask just to say the word 19 to this old man and he'll tell her um and he fucks off out of town with a, a skip and a jump basically I fucking love the man in black in this book by the way well, I love that you texted me before we started reading something. About, well, do you know about the Man in Black? And oh, I yeah. answered back, and I said Johnny Cash? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Which I knew wasn't the answer, no. but I am kind of like, I just that's what I think of when I think of the Man in Black, well, right, <laughs> and I course. always will. I always will, yeah. even after we get through all these books, I'm still going to be thinking Johnny Cash. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, he is he is the man in black, but no, right? <laughs> the the man in black in this one, I, it's I mean we're gonna find out at some point in the books anyway, but it's Randall Flag, like that's who this character is, or a version of Randall Flag, um, who pops up, which is kind of neat and actually really kind of like that. He's you can and you kind of get that vibe from that character when he really starts to pop up later in the novel. Mm-hmm. Of his personality coming out more. Because very early on in the book, we only see him briefly in his scene where he resurrects the old man in Tall. And he just seems like a kind of a weird wizard guy. Right. Which is kind of... And that's kind of how this whole book... The, the book is... The world of, of the Dark Tower within the Gunslinger is... Very strangely anachronistic in a lot of ways but also it, it's a lot, it, it's very much a lot of different ideas and genres all kind of chunked in together um, because it does have that fantasy, that fantasy story aspect to it with, you know, there's obviously magic and there's, you know, the gunslingers are obviously kind of knights of a sort. Um, and there's castles that are brought up when, when Roland talks about Gilead. Um, but at the same time, they're singing Hey Jude in the bar and they talk about like Christianity and stuff popping up here and there. And they talk about the Bible, the Bible gets mentioned, but there's also machines that are around, but the, they keep saying that the world has moved on, which is interesting. So Midworld seems to be something. It, yeah. I mean, you, and it's, yeah. you can't, yeah, you don't really get a really good handle on what Midworld is other than, it's somehow connected to the re- there are other there are other worlds we know that that's established by the end of the book um and we, we kind of know that because when jake shows up when he what little bit of his past he can remember he was in new york so right. we know that reality air quotes reality 
um, and Midworld are somehow connected because Jake gets hit by a car and then wakes up in Midworld um, for reasons. Yeah, and now I I wasn't going to, but I had a friend who talked me into going to see the movie, yes. The Dark Tower. And it just starts right to begin with where Roland meets Jake. Oh, wow. Just cuts the first, what, 75 whatever pages off. Mm-hmm. Which I was like, I knew it. I knew it was supposed to have combined elements of multiple books. Yeah, my, I wasn't sure about how many and yeah. which ones and what. And but I was still at that point. But I was kind of like, wow, that's a lot to just lop off. And you know, it, it was it was kind of odd that well, it seemed a lot more about the damn fucking kid than it did mm, about. Yeah, that that was my one complaint about it yeah that's the, a lot of what i've seen about the movie was that it feels like a ya movie it does because they focus so much on the fucking kid um so anyway sorry i'm, I'm just bouncing all over the place but anyway we the story sorry, that, i had to i had to no, no, absolutely because uh, that's just drove me nuts that that's and then and, and you see so much more of it taking place in new york and in manhattan oh, okay yeah that's lame. so yeah which apparently that's el- those are elements that come in from the third book and from the eighth book in the right. series. Which at the, I mean, which at that point I feel like we'll probably be fine with it. Um, and I mean, I've read a little right. bit about the fran- the series as leading into reading it, and I know that it gets it gets banana fuck crazy as as right. the time goes on. I guess Stephen King shows up as a character. Um, I guess there's Doom bots actual dr doom bots running around which is hysterical <laughs> to me um i mean th- if this thing goes off the rails in an amazing way like i hope it does i will be mm-hmm. so fucking happy um right but bringing it back to tall anyway go ahead so um so yeah so roland is in is in tall and he finds out you know that the man in black was here and he did his thing to resurrect this guy and this guy isn't quite right anymore. I mean, he never was, but he's a little bit less so now that he's been resurrected. Uh, we also find out that there's a a preacher woman out just outside of town who is preaching some kind of hellfire and brimstone Christianity. Um, who the man in black has apparently um, visited when he was there, and I believe impregnated her with yes the son of the crimson king or something that's what she refers or somebody somebody refers it to as as, as the prince of the king crimson king or something or some some shit like that which is going to come up later i'm sure exactly Um, (laughs) and it's kind of it's really kind of funny reading this and like seeing the very obvious pop culture stuff pop up like the crimson king it's like oh jesus christ i'm (laughs) I'm waiting for acdc to show up in these fucking books at some point which i'm sure they will just fucking scene where Roland rolls past the fucking ACDC Angus Young or some shit. They're in, they're in yeah, goddamn Joey, uh, Ramone. Joey Ramone. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's it is true. Stephen King. Yeah. Well, he loves ACDC. He, they're in uh, maximum overdrive after all. Yeah, that's true. Which holy shit for, just, uh, let me digress for just a moment here. <laughs> I watched the trailer. I have not even actually watched Max. I've never seen Maximum Overdrive. I've seen the box art. I had vague ideas of what it was about. It's like, oh, trucks killing people. Okay, sure. I finally watched the trailer the other night. And holy shit. 
that is the most Stephen King ass thing I have ever seen. Because he's it's crazy bearded Uncle Stevie, and he's all coked out of his mind, so his eyes are yes. both cross eyed. Yes, and he's exactly. just like, I made a movie, and it's the greatest movie ever, and there's just shit exploding, and you're just like. And it's just like, you're like, oh my God, it's a movie about the machines killing people. This is the most Stephen King story ever. And of course, there's a fat guy in the trailer and fucking Emilio Estevez is, is it Emilio? It's Emilio Estevez. Yeah, Emilio Estevez is in this movie. It just, oh my God. And like, I guess ACDC does the soundtrack. It's just, it is, it is Stephen King's id and cocaine and however much money just jammed together for I don't know how long, an hour and a half, whatever that movie is. And it looks like the most fucking amazing clusterfuck ever. I know. I have. I still have yet to see it. It's we're, one we're of those that's We're going to have to do it at some point. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> just so that might be an episode where we just do a commentary episode or something. Yeah. <laughs> David and Vanessa get really drunk and watch Maximum Overdrive and scream what at the screen a lot. <laughs> anyway, back to the Dark Tower. So... Roland goes out to the to the church and uh, is aware that there the the sermon being given is about the devil and it's very heavily implied that they're they're talking about Roland because he's the outsider, um, and he goes at some point to meet with the preacher woman and you know performs um, a revolver abortion without actually shooting her, which was yeah gross. <laughs> And she's like, she's described, yeah, like she's described as as this like really big fat woman. Yeah. But he's also like really aroused by her, which I, because like she's apparently got some kind of powers. You you mentioned she was a a succubus. Okay. I thought thought that was the one in the woods. Is that? No. Right. That's the one in the woods. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I think she's, I think she's just possessed by whatever. She's, yeah. She's she's an influence. Yeah. By the, the, by the man in black. Right. Right. Um, Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so yeah, he aborts her demon baby, whatever the fuck, um, devil Bailey, devil baby, no, yo, no, yeah, <laughs> no low, ah, whatever. Anyway, so he goes back to Tull and he kind of knows that the shit's about to pop off, which it does. Um, he, I think it, I think that's, I think, I believe it's after he, he comes back from town or he goes out to, he goes out to the, wherever he's keeping his, his donkey. I think he has a donkey or a horse. I don't remember. I think it's donkey. Donkey. Um, yeah. Um, so he goes back there and he meets the guy and he's like, you know, I want my shit together so I can get out of here. Um, and heads back to town and poor Allie has been taking, is being used as a human shield by somebody. And she's, you know, crying and telling him like, oh God, I asked the question, please roll and kill me. Um, and I think they've, I think they crucify the old man. I seem to yeah. think that's a, that that's something that happens. Like they crucify the old man outside of the bar, and then like the townsfolk come after him. And then this is the first time we really see what it means to be a gunslinger in this world, because Roland is just fucking unloading left and right, just killing people, just murdering motherfuckers left and right. Um, he gets beat up pretty good. Um, I think he gets stabbed at one point. I think he gets hit in the face or something. Somebody throw something at him or so he gets maybe he gets banged up but he kills a whole lot of people relatively quickly um basically kills the entire town who have been possessed by whatever dark magic has been unleashed there by the, the man in black and then 
that's the sort of the story of Tull that he's told to this, you know, hermit, and then he's off again into the wilderness and or into the the desert rather. Um, and that's when he meets Jake in it's like a barn or something. No, it's a it's like a train station or something. Yeah, it's like a train station. Yeah, and like Jake kind of, and this is kind of what's what what's interesting about this. What I really actually really liked about excuse me this book was that you've got you've got king being the omniscient narrator describing setting the scenes for things and then you've got roland roland's periodic descriptions of scenery and then you've got jake who is kind of the audience's um eyes in a sense because he's the one who's who kind of points out like oh this is like a subway you know, so it's like King kind of explains it right. as being sort of in his sort of like all this sort of, you know, everything's decaying and falling apart. But then you've got, you know, Jake who's just like, oh, yeah, it's like this. And Roland's like, what the fuck is that? And you're like, oh, you know, further helping to, you know, establish the scenes. Um. So, yeah, he meets a, a, a he meets a talking demon in the basement. Yes. Which I'm assuming is some kind of fallout shelter or something because there's food down there or it's a storm shelter or something right it's a storm shelter because uh, there's food down there and he finds this demon and takes its jaw or he find, or no he takes the jaw of a corpse that's down there that's speaking to the demon something like that yes the, the magic in this book is not particularly clearly explained which is fine like it's actually i'm like i'm pretty okay with that it's just that there is magic in the world it's we don't know how it really works other than the man in black is a magician and he can do shit. Um, and right. so this is the point where we find out a little bit about Jake and how, you know, he went to school and he lived in New York and his dad, I think was in advertising. And then he gets hit by a bus or something and it dies horribly. Yeah. And then wakes up in this place, but he's slowly losing his memory of where he's from. Um, and so it's, it's through Jake that Roland starts to open up about his own childhood and we find out about Gilead and you know how the gunslingers were the sort of the highest order of the kingdom of whatever the fuck it was I don't think I don't remember if it's ever named directly I don't remember I know it's just like Midworld gets referenced as the overall world that's happening but Gilead is the is his the city he lived in um and we're introduced to a young Roland who's like 12 or 13, I think, at the first time we meet him. Yeah. Um, and his three friends and Court, who is the sort of the, 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 the teacher of the, the the trainer for the, the, the soon-to-be gunslingers. Um, and there's we were introduced to the, the first time we were introduced to all this is when they're training with the Hawk, uh, David. And then we also the we find out that this is not that this world is very harsh um in that you know this the gunslinger training is very very violent very brutal to these kids you know courts beating the shit out of them left and right and um but it sort of seems like that's obviously it's for a reason because these are you know these men are knights or or whatever they are um it's it's essentially I mean, you've got so much of this that's referenced back references back to King Arthur, yeah, 
and all that. I just, <laughs> it's all of my, my English classes go <laughs> through my head because I was an English major. So there was a certain amount of middle medieval right. literature I had to read that I was like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's definitely the, the kind of the vibe you get when you're in Gilead with Roland and his father, right. the, the right. brief times we see his father. Exactly. Um, you know, and then there's the talk of the high speech, which is very, it's not that much different from how they normally speak, but it's more formal, obviously. Right. Um, so, and then that's when they, they catch the cook planning uh, a mute or planning. Well, it's not really a mutiny, but it's a plan to have like tainted meat sent to some town to kill everyone as part of this revolution that's coming or something. Right. Some sort um, of sabotage. Yeah. Some sort of, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and of course, Roland and his friend hear this and they, he tells his father and they go and see the man hung, uh, which is kind of a big growth moment for Roland as a, to see this man being put to death and what it means for him. And then we go from there. Then they wander a while. There's a lot of wandering in this book. <laughs> yeah, there there is. There's there, a lot of yeah. there's a lot of Roland and and, and Jake walking. Um, so yeah, we 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 go through that story, and then then they meet the succubus out in the woods because they've cleared the desert finally, and they've they're starting to climb the mountain. And Jake, I think, wanders off. Is what yeah, happens. Yeah, he, I think it's like he wanders off in the night, and Roland finds him, and he's been he's been <laughs> attacked by a succubus. Um, so he rescues Jake and they go back and, um, he takes some mescaline and goes and talks to the succubus and gets some information out of her. Um, as you do, as you do, you know, and then has sex with her. Cause you know, it's what you gotta do. You gotta get, you, as you do, get, yeah. gotta get your prophecy. Then you gotta have sex with the succubus. You know, it's a fair trade. Yeah. Um, and basically there's a, it's, it's a, we had a lot of interesting kind of time to f- see who Roland is as a character um throughout this because we established that he's there's definitely a coldness to him much like Django um right. but it seems to be in in Roland's case part of it is his training part of it's kind of he's kind of dumb and he even admits like they that's stated outright several times in the book that he's not so bright or he, he's a it's not that he's not bright he's just not a, a very intellectual person compared to his like his friends and his family um and he's you know he's he seems to have some kind of morals that we don't really know and he and he does talk about having feelings for jake at one point like he he feels like a certain amount of love for this boy um but he's also very aware that he kind of has to dump him at some point or as, as the prophecy tells him he's gonna jake's gonna die and so he's kind of like, ah, well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, can't get too attached to this little right, shit. Because I yeah. have, you know, his his <laughs> his quest is to find the man in black or and to get to the the, the tower. We right. don't know where the tower is. We don't really know what the tower does. Um, but he's trying to get the tower. That's just the quest. Yes, that is the quest: is to find the man in black for his answers and to find the tower. Um, and there's, you know, we get a bit more of his uh, his youth. Uh, we find out about the, you know, the big dance where he finds out that um, his father's advisor is having an affair with his mother, 
who, as it turns out, is the man in black. We find out that at the very end. He was of the book. And he was the wizard. Yes. Um, and there's references to the Battle of Jericho Hill, which is something I'm sure will come up later. There's a lot of kind of background references to things that happened before this story picked up that led to the downfall of Gilead and why Roland is out questing the way he is. Um, so they're in the, they're in the mountains for a bit and then they go underground. They find like a, I guess it's a mine cart or it's a, it's yeah. a hand cart rather. It's a hand cart. Um, and it seems like it's a mine for a while. And then that's when they encounter the slow mutants who are sort of radioactive golems, I guess is the kind of the easiest description of them. Yeah. It, there, there were a lot of different points where I kept straying towards Tolkien. Yeah. Thinking, I mean, in certain equations, just because my father read me that so much when I was growing up that mm-hmm. that's just kind of where I go sometimes. Yeah. Um, that was definitely kind of the, that was kind of the, I, the vision I had was kind of the slow mutants was kind of like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, but glowing right. or with like radioactive glowing face or something like that. Sure, um, that sounds good. <laughs> or, I, or like the Fallout games, the 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 irradiated mutants or the irradiated um, zombies in that game kind of were the, the, what I kind of saw with those, or um, something similar to maybe the monsters in the Descent. Mm-hmm. Unless, except they you know, obviously glowing. There was the emphasis right. on them glowing because um, that's a, a big thing about uh, that's how they know they're there. So that they can see them glowing in the in the darkness. It's like pitch black, and then when whenever he kills one of them, he talks about the light in their faces dimming out. Um, so they they go through the caves for a while, and then they come into what seems to be like an abandoned subway station of some kind. Yeah, and something happened here because they find a a couple of corpses that have been mummified. So I'm thinking that there may have been a nuclear attack at some point, maybe. Like I don't know. Like that's the that's the thing it, with with this it's world. Unclear. It's that, unclear. Yeah, it's very unclear what happened or how much of what happened in Gilead had an effect on the rest of Midworld. Um, although as we get along into the the end towards the end of the book, when which we'll get to in a second, but anyway, so yeah, they they kind of investigate that for a bit and. Roland calls uh, Jake's bluff because Jake basically has figured out that Roland's going to leave him for dead at some point. And several times has been like, are you going to fucking leave me or not? Because fucking do it. And Roland's like, I'm fucking going. So bye, Felicia. And, <laughs> you know, Jake follows after him anyway because he's like, I'm not going to stay with you because you're going to abandon me. He's like, all right, well, bye. And, you know, um so they get out of there and they find light eventually and this is the first time they come not quite face to face because they're he's up on a higher ledge but we first time we really get an interaction between roland and the the man in black um and he talks to they talk a bit and the man in black tells him you know once once you're once you you know once you come out to the other side you know, we'll sit and we'll talk and I'll give you your answers. Cause he, I think he sh- tries to shoot at him first. And he's like, are you so, so eager to kill your, your answers? Um, and this is, this is the first time we really get to see the man in black talk and he's, Oh, he's so wonderful. He's so, I don't know. The, the way I read his character was 
someone who is just utterly delighted with how evil he is mm-hmm. and is just having way too much fun. Right. You know, he's just, he's not, he's not glowering. He's not, he's very much a lot like Pennywise in that sense of that kind of having way too much fun being evil, mm-hmm. um, which is a villain Stephen King does periodically, but I think works really well here. And especially obviously written the flag in the stand. It's very much the same way. Um, but I, I love that idea of the, the villain who's just very gleeful and just is enjoying himself and is doing shit. Cause it makes him, makes him smile no matter right. how awful it is. Um, you know, so the man in black says what he has to say and then he fucks off. Um, and they continue onward. And then I believe they, they're crossing a bridge. I think they come to a, a bridge with the handcart, but they end up having to walk across cause they're afraid that the handcart will be too much for this bridge. Um, and they get attacked again, I believe. I think that's what I think the, the slow mutants show up again, which is what hap- which is what causes Jake to fall. Um, I think. Yeah, I think something <laughs> like that. Like this is the, 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 this, this, the, the end of the book's a little that that particular sequence is a little hazy. Um, mm-hmm. but it's like yeah, they go across a bridge and Jake falls, and of course, you know, we kind of knew that was going to happen. Because Stephen King has no problem killing children, um, and then of course it needs to happen sometimes I huh? understand. Oh yeah, it yeah. needs to happen sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to drop a kid off a of, off a ledge, and you know. Um, although I have a feeling that Jake will be back, um, because it's it, it, again in some of the dialogue with either the I think maybe either the man in black himself says it or it's the succubus who says that Jake is there because the man in black needs him. Right. Um, and we don't really, and I don't, I don't believe the man in black says why he's going to the tower. He's just go. He, I think he says something about, or he explains a little bit about what the tower is at the very end when they're talking, um, mm-hmm. you know, that it's this sort of central pylon that kind of holds up, these different worlds in a sense yeah um and that something is happening because time is speeding up which is why you know they keep talking about everything has moved on and everything's decaying you know something's wrong with the tower which is causing this these worlds to fall apart the way they are um and you know he's gonna go there and do whatever the fuck it is he's gonna do and roland is gonna do chase after him and so they have their talk and then Roland, I think either either the man in black just fucks off or he, I think he falls asleep or Roland falls asleep or something. Roland falls asleep. Okay. That's right. So he falls asleep and he wakes up and he's like, he's, you know, he's gone gray and grayed out a little bit. Now he's, he's lost some years apparently having yeah. sat and talked to the man in black over what fe- over as it's described is basically a night, um, you know, and then he's now, continues on his quest to find the tower um and that's where the book ends he's just continues on with his quest to go find the tower and the man in black who has escaped him now several times (laughs) yes and we don't know why he's chasing him either yet right there's no there's no he never he rolla never says why he's chasing the man in black or why he's headed for the tower it's just what he's doing 
you know, and there's there's references to a previous woman he was in love with who apparently was burned as a witch. It's somewhere, some coastal city, I believe, was what he says at some point. Um, but again, it's kind of one of those little background things that gets peppered in through the story that we don't really know much about, like the horn, um, the horn of Duchesne, which he makes reference to at one point. And even he can't really remember what it was for. Um, which I really like. I really like the idea that whatever the tower is, you know, holding this universe together or whatever it does, and it, whatever decay or whatever is happening across the world is affecting people's memories even. So that, you know, something something that's important is this Horn of Duchesne that he mentions. Like, he can't remember why he needed it or who lost it or where, really. Or no, he says he was, um, no, one of his friends runs into battle with it. At, I think at Jericho Hill. But then he can't remember why he doesn't have it. Or he couldn't remember why he didn't have it earlier. Or why it was important. But then he has he remembers later in the book that like one of his friends had it. Right. Um but like even then, like all of his all of the a lot of that like background stuff is kind of he doesn't really remember what significance it has. Other than like, oh yeah, this was a thing. This was a place I was or this was a thing that I remember from my childhood, but it's not it's all very hazy um which is really interesting i really like that about this book yeah i i mean i i do enjoy that you have a number of unanswered questions mm-hmm. um because i mean I, I don't feel that you need i mean even if he hadn't planned an entire series which mm-hmm. who knows how much exactly he planned right. when he originally wrote this who knows maybe he had 20 books planned in his head. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had none. But assuming either, you you don't have to answer every question all the time. Right. And to leave some of it up in the air and it's just it's about the journey. Yeah. And you know, just the want the want of answers. Yeah. Um Rather than the actual, what are the answers? Right. Which I think is kind of in in our favor because we know that this series has an ending. Right. So we know we, that now. <laughs> yeah, we, we know that now. We know that there is an end. We don't have to worry. You know, we're not like everybody else who read this book when they, these books when they were coming out and wondering, oh, God, you know, when's the next Dark Tower book going to come out? Oh, God, Stephen King got hit by a car. Is, are we ever going to get to the end of the Dark Tower? Right. Um, exactly. And I do, I really enjoy the journey of this book of just, you know, we start out in the desert and then we end not necessarily in the desert, but on the other side of the desert somewhere and the journey is still going. And I really like that. And I like that there's, we get enough to establish who Roland is as an adult now, you know, having seen his actions in Tall and his actions with Jake, but also see kind of where he came from and the very stark differences between those two between where he's at now and where he came from. Right. And even just the, the stark differences of the world of, you know, what, it, what Gilead was like versus what this desert is like, um, which is really cool. And of course we don't really know where the hell the tower is or where any of this is in middle world. We just know it's a place called mid world, um, which is somehow connected to our world or reality as we would know it. Um, somehow, um, there's doors apparently, I believe is what, uh, the man in black tells him. 
there's doors to other to many worlds or something um right that's a, and that's a lot of where the expositional kind of setup shows up which i'm pretty sure is stuff that was you know in the revised version that he went and went in and was like okay let's make all this uh let's get some uh plot points you know scattered in here at the end to kind of set up what happens in the later books um but yeah it, I mean, it definitely makes sense that he came back mm-hmm. later and said, let me do some rewrites here and there right. to just kind of, uh, you know, make some things flow a little bit better in the yeah. overall story arc. Right. Kind of tune things up here and there. And he even, he even says that in his author's note or forward that like he started this book when he was like 19. Yeah. And, you know, by the time he published it, he, you know, coming back when he, re- for this revised version, he was like, yeah, you know, I had time to, to go back over it and kind of fix some word choices and remove some words here and there and kind of fix little things that I felt like shouldn't be there or all this other stuff. Um, so yeah, it's real fucking good. Like it, like I said, I really, I like that it's, it's distinctly Stephen King without having too many of the Stephen King cliches that typically bogged down his later books and i don't necessarily mean that in a bad way it's just there are certain tropes you see a lot in stephen king books that pop up that don't really show up too much in this book they do a little bit right but it's not as bad and there it it, i felt like this one sticks the landing pretty well Mm -hmm. because it's just sort of like you were were establishing that this is there's going to be something that he's you know the gunslinger's quest continues and if and like you said if this book had ended here and that just had been it that's a really good story. That's a, just a really good novel. Exactly. You know, exactly. It, it's just, hey, here's... It, it's completely standalone. Yeah, much like Django. Right. You know, it's just sort of like, here, here's this guy who shows up, here's this guy leaving, the end. What happens to him next? He, who knows? He, yeah, he goes on to live another day. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is really cool. Um, actually, it makes me as nervous as I've been about doing the rest of the series, because there are a lot of those fucking books, holy shit. Eight in total. Yeah, I know. Seven in the novella. Oh God. Um, one down. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It's like one down. It's like this one's actually was really good, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm actually excited to read the next one now. Yeah. Um, even though it is a little daunting to know that holy shit, we're gonna be reading a lot of these fucking books. And that I think the next book is twice as long as I, I think so. Yeah. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the good thing we have a digital, so I don't have to lug it around with me. Oh, I bought actually the paperback. Oh, wow. But it's not that big. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I remember the first, I want to say like the first three or four aren't too thick. I think Wizard in the Glass starts to get a bit thick. Um, well, the next one I think is 500 something pages. Okay. Yeah, I, Whereas, they, I don't think they start cracking a thousand. Two fifty, yeah. two fifty-five, rather. My yeah. my copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they start cracking a thousand until like book four or five. Uh, and this is just me going back to when I worked at bookstores and remembering like the size of those fucking things. Because how did I let long. you talk me into this? <laughs> um, I literally said, "Hey, Vanessa, you want to do the whole Dark Tower series?" And you said, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" <laughs> I know. I'm totally, I'm totally, <laughs> I know. It's my own stupid fault for Yeah, me. I know. And then you're like, holy shit, you signed me up for seven bucks? And I was like, uh, yeah. Oh, wait, no, eight, actually. Oh, wait, eight. Oops. But technically, we've already got one down, so hooray. 
seven more. Seven more. No, it's good. It's good. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. So is there um is there anything you wanted to specifically you wanted to bring up or points of interest that you wanted to talk about? Now that we've sort of discussed the general basis of the book. Um I, not that I can really think of so much right now. Okay. Um yeah, I just uh, I think you said pretty much what I would say. Yeah. Cuz yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great just Because novel. honestly, it's not like you have tons and tons of action. Right. It it really is a relatively short story. Mm-hmm. You know, and you yeah. do I mean, you have enough there though that you're not bored or, you know, so you feel like there's meat of a story but there's not a million and one details that you're trying to remember right unlike some other books yeah it's very it's very straightforward again it's oddly enough this kind of pairs very well with Django because they're very similar in that they just they move very quickly Mm -hmm. from from start to finish you know the, the, the action scenes we get in this book are fairly like the biggest one I would say is probably like the tall the fight at Tull is pretty is the like the big one of the big action scenes, right? Um, uh, you know the scene. Uh, Roland taking on Court is another big scene. Big scene, right? Um, and then like the slow mutants is probably the next biggest action scene, and even then, it's not that much happening. Yeah, um, it's just a lot of them traveling. Yeah, there is a there's a lot of them traveling. Um. But it doesn't feel like it's dragging on. Like it feels like they're making. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like they're making progress. Um, and he, he he gives us enough bursts of points where we can stop and have these characters sit down and talk for a bit, and you know establish a little bit more of their relationship or a bit more of the history of you know where Roland's from and stuff like that, which is really a good way of you know seeding the world with more information, you know, giving the readers more to kind of cl- um, get an image of what this whole world is about. Um, and really, like I said, makes me want to pick up the next one and keep going and see what happens next, which is not something that typically happens with me with uh, series book novels. Like I don't, I don't right. usually read a lot of series novels because I can't usually get through the first one. Or if I do, I'm just kind of like, eh, all right, I don't don't really care about the rest of these. This wasn't. I can't. You know, I can't justify. I, I have to really give a shit about a, a world in a right. novel to want to keep going through multiple books. This one so far, with the first one out of the way, yeah, definitely has my attention. And knowing some of the crazy batshit stuff that comes later, I kind of want to get there because I want to see how crazy it actually is and how well he actually pulls it off. Well, exactly. Because it's yeah. like you know, it's, I agree with you. Th- there's a there's a big difference between the internet saying, "Oh yeah, Stephen King shows up as a character," and there's Doom bots versus, "All right, let's <laughs> see how he actually implements this." Right, and I, I kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to that because I kind of, I think I seem to remember reading some point or somewhere that I guess like Roland yells at the Stephen King character at one point, which is hysterical to me. Because <laughs> again, on paper or on the internet, that sounds fucking hilarious. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, I kind of want to see how he does that because that could be really cool. Right. Um. So yeah, that's the Gunslinger. I would absolutely recommend this. Um. It's real good. It's a real fun read. Um, even if you're not really into Westerns, it's not really. I 
This one does uh, surprisingly, and kudos to Stephen King. He kind of managed to meld two genres of novel that I don't like reading, which is high fantasy and westerns. Yeah, and made it work because uh-huh. I, I can't. I I typically don't like high fantasy. I can't stand sword and sorcery shit. It bores me to tears. I, I don't mind it in movies, but in Agreed. books, it is just the most tedious shit ever. I I agree with you completely. Like I said, my dad, when I was a kid, I mean, he would read me all the Tolkien stuff. Like, right. I got that more than I got normal fairy tales. Mm. Um, that and Edgar Allan Poe. So, <laughs> yeah. What does that say about my dad? But yeah. um, I, I guess maybe I got too much of it then that I, I'm not into reading about it. Mm. I'll watch a movie, yeah. but I can't devote my time like that. Yeah. And I've read, like, and as far as Westerns go, I've read one Louis L'Amour novel, and that was more than enough for me. Yeah, like, I've never... I've never it was just kind of like, meh. Yeah, I, like, I've never had any real interest in reading Westerns, because I'm just like, eh, who gives a shit? You know, and like I said, it took me until Django, which I saw a couple of years ago, for me to actually, like, be like, oh, hey, Westerns are kind of okay. You know, yeah. I, just, I don't see myself ever picking up a Western novel, you know, unless it's, like, something, like, really acclaimed, and even then... um. You know, but Stephen King manages to make it work, you know, and it, it because it feels like a Stephen King novel. Like, I think that's the, the one one of the things that I love about right. him as an author. Um, and he mentions in one of the I, there's a bunch of talks he gives on there's or there's videos of talks he's given on YouTube. Um, and I was watching one where he mentions that, you know. People are he, he's he can he doesn't consider himself a horror writer. He just considers himself a, a writer of stories. And he's he says the reason people keep coming back is not so much the subject matter, but the voice of the it's the voice telling the story that there that brings them in, which I think is right. very true. Yes. Um, you know because he has a very confident tone and he's a really mm-hmm. fantastic, like legitimately a fantastic writer. Yes. Um, not just for genre fiction because we all know genre fiction is full of garbage. Um, but like le- legitimately, the man writes really good fucking books, and you know it's kind of unfortunate that he's always been sort of shuffled off into the oh well he writes you know genre fiction so he's not a real writer but it's like no dude dude's got some chops and you know yeah he's got his 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 little foibles and things and his really odd race issues that periodically pop up which i'm sure will happen later because that's always a thing in stephen king books he has a hard time describing black people in ways that are not kind of cringy. <laughs> but I blame it on him being from Maine. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> Possible. Yeah. So what about you? Would you recommend this one? I would, um, for the most part. There, I mean, there are, again, there are certain people I know I that definitely would not be into this. Oh, yeah. But other than that, I mean, I would recommend it. Yes. Cool. All because right. you're right. It it does kind of meld genres and mm-hmm. and it's just kind of its own thing. Yeah, it really is. It, it very much has. It definitely, like I said, it definitely feels like a Stephen King book. Yes. But not your tra- like it, It's got those. It's got the comfortable tone of a Stephen King book. Like it's that familiar tone. But it's unlike anything else he's ever written. Which is what I really enjoyed, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, 
I'm so used to seeing his horror stuff and it's really nice to see him do or to see see his work where he's gotten out of horror and done this weird fantasy western horror sci-fi thing right make it actually kind of work and be awesome so far well and not and not all writers can go like branch out into other genres right you know he could have easily just been like okay i'm gonna try to do something non-horror and it sucked but it's not the case yeah no and he's yeah he's proven that multiple i mean shawshank well, exactly. You know, he's he's been able to he's fantastically been able, like I said, because he's such a goddamn good writer. You know, he's been exactly. able to write all these amazing non-horror stories, and you know, like I said, just to be able to see him melding genres the way he does. And this is, you know, it was really published in the seventies. That wasn't, to to my knowledge at least, that kind the kind of genre melding he's doing here wasn't as prominent then. No, it doesn't. It, I don't think it was. And it, there's definitely. I kind of get the vibe of what would become urban fantasy from this book, um, which I think is kind of neat and also kind of depressing because urban fantasy is typically fucking garbage. Um, so much urban fan, so many urban fantasy novels are fucking trash. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. But this book is not trash. This book is fucking great. So read it, Gunslinger. It's awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back to close out the show. Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth, the Psycho Semanticast. Let us face without panic the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. Neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. So, thank you everyone for listening to the VD Clinic episode 5. Uh, this was super fun. Uh, next episode... Oh, next episode will be uh, our Halloween episode. Will be the yes. same thing we get, we get this way it comes. Yes, exactly. And then November is... Car John Sick. Waters. Yeah, it's the John, John Waters episode where we're doing Carsick and Serial Mom. And then Christmas is going to be the Hebrew Hammer. I don't think we're going to yeah. do anything else. I think we're just going to do Hebrew Our Hammer. Our holiday episode is going to be the fucking Hebrew Hammer. Yes. Because <laughs> that movie is amazing. <laughs> you just get to hear me do a lot of Brooklyn Jewish accents. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking lots of Yiddish. <laughs> oh my God. It's going to be amazing. Uh, so, um, is there anything we need to plug before we leave? Um, well, we do have an email address. We do. Which is vdclinicpod at gmail.com. Yes, we also and have, we have the, uh, the Twitter, the, which is the Twitter, <laughs> which is vdclinicpod at or no at vdclinicpod. Sorry. Yes, exactly. Um, and have Facebook group we do, too, so. which is I think it's vdclinicpodcast. Yes. Yeah. That's the only one that's different. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. Every time I always get confused because I, I get 
for I don't know why because the fucking email address and the Twitter are exactly the same. It's only the Facebook group that's different. And right, that's because I created that one, and you know I just had to yeah confuse you. Although you were already confused to begin with, so I know, I know. Well, because the I was working with character limits for the email and the fucking Twitter, so or trying to make it you. you know sensible so it would not have to be fucking super long. Um. So yeah, we have those. You can get in contact with us. Um, if you have questions, comments, uh, suggestions for books you like, books or movies you would like us to review, um, you can email us at that email address. You can tweet us uh, or post in the Facebook group. Um, don't have a ton of stuff going on over there right now, but uh, you know, we try to keep it um, keep posting in there. Although we've both been super busy because you were on vacation. I've been crazy busy at work. Yeah, my um, work has been crazy busy too. Yeah, so, so we're. We try to be as active on social media as we can be, but, you know, we do what we can. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't have anything else to plug, really. Um, yeah, other than the Halloween episode's coming, which I'm excited for. Um, and I have a new podcast that I'm taking part in, but I don't have to produce it, so I don't have to actually do any work except sit and talk, which is awesome. Um... <laughs> Which will be out, I don't know when. I don't even know where it's going to be yet. It's just a thing. We're recording it tomorrow. We'll see what happens. If it's not a dumpster fire, I might send it to Bo and see if Legion will host it. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe if it, if it is a fucking dumpster fire, I'll host it. Who knows? It'll be fun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that is it for this episode. I can't think of anything else that we need to plug other than send us you know, comments, questions, suggestions complaints don't send us complaints actually we don't want those um oh yeah and rate us on itunes we have a separate uh, itunes feed so if you look up vd clinic uh on itunes or apple podcast whatever the fuck it's called now uh search yeah. vd clinic podcast i suggest mm -hmm. just because yeah make sure you put podcast <laughs> at the end i'm just suggesting that to people because you know it narrowed down your results yes <laughs> if you just look for vd clinic it's gonna bring up some odd choices. subject matters yeah. <laughs> so make sure you put the podcast at the end in the search you'll find it um yeah of course we are also available on legion um proud members of the legion podcasting family uh yeah so other than that Vanessa, you don't have any, you didn't have any, um, are you guest appearing anywhere anytime soon that you want to plug? Or are you um, actually taking a, time off for a bit? I've got a couple things. Ooh. Yeah. So. Please, please do explain. I'm <laughs> going to. <laughs> plug the other shows you're going to be on. I'm going to be on uh, the Food Chain and Witch versus the Doomsday Clock. Oh, fun. Oh, yeah, and Food Chain is uh, a fairly it's new Yes. Uh, there, it's all, it, that's all killer animals, right? Yes. Okay. I get killer spiders. So. Ooh. And who is who does that show? Because I've seen it posted. Does uh, Jeffrey X. Martin? Oh, okay. And, uh, wife Cootie. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, I know. I'd seen the seen it posted on the Legion Facebook group, but I just hadn't had a yeah. chance to to listen to it because I'm like, oh, it's killer animals. I think they just released their fifth episode. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I having a hard I have a hard time keeping track of everybody's shows that are coming out anymore because everybody seems to release fucking four hour episodes and I'm guilty of that too. So 
to keep this from being a four hour episode. <laughs> Vanessa. Well, what you have, you have, you huh? just recorded an episode of Devour. I did. I just recorded uh, 120, I believe it was. Um, yeah, with Ashley from Girls Will Be Ghouls, uh, where we discussed Demon Knight. That was a super fun episode. That one's long. Um, I haven't even touched the edit on that episode yet, and I know it's long. Because um, I think we recorded. I haven't even touched the episode, the edit on a. Huh? Or have you started editing yeah. the episode? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. By the time people I'll are hearing it. this, they'll have already heard the Step for Wives episode. We hope. Yeah. As of this recording, <laughs> I'm however. I'm totally fucking with you. I know. I'm just totally fucking with you. It's technically still August as of this recording. I know. I'm on time. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, say goodnight, Vanessa. Good night, Vanessa. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the VD Clinic. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Twitter at VD Clinic Pod or reach us via email at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, VD Clinic Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and more. Solo lei Django Django Ma dimentica Se puoi Che si vive Che si ama Che si ama Una volta Soa Django Django Hai amato Solo lei Django Non è più vicino a te L'hai amata L'hai perduta L'hai perduta Per sempre Django Nasce una stella nel cielo Love